Well, friends, good morning. Good morning. Good morning and welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. Whether you are here visiting with us from somewhere else, whether you are visiting in person or online, welcome. It's good to see all of you today. Well, you may be wondering if it is laundry day in the Burns household. (laughs) It's not. But the fact that you see me wearing something slightly different today is its own indication that we have moved into a new space and a new time as a church. We call it the season of Advent. And outside of these walls, people are getting ready to celebrate Christmas, and we are too. Although when we do that as Christian people, we do it in slightly different ways. Just like you may be pulling the decorations out of storage and out of boxes, the church, too, has a bunch of things that we've kept in storage all year, which we get to pull out and display. We call it liturgy, right? And so we pull out some liturgical pieces from storage. We pull out some songs and hymns and some colors and some symbols to remember that Jesus has already come, but that he is coming back. And so we are a people who wait. It may be that for you today, this Christmas season is marked by a realization that the things you really want this year can't so easily be put on the wish list. It might be that this year you find yourself missing some people who you won't get to celebrate with. It might be that this year there are things that you are worried about that you're not sure Christmas Day is going to be able to cover over. Well, if that is you, I have good news, my friends. Those things are all part of Advent, and it's very normal, and we are a people who wait. But as we wait, we do so in good company. We do so with each other and with God's own spirit, which gives us the strength we don't have on our own. And so, friends, it is Advent. It is my favorite season of the year, and I am so glad that we can do and celebrate that together. Before we get started, I have a couple announcements I want to highlight for you, the first of which is that our Christmas pageant is coming on December 12th, and there'll be a chance for uh, our kids to practice today uh, during the Kids Street time. And then also, after worship today, I wanted to highlight we're going to be turning our gospel formation back on. And so after about 25 minutes of fellowship and coffee and catching up, uh, we'll be separating out to be thinking about uh, our sermon and doing that with a sermon discussion and also learning some catechism uh, for our Kids Street and our Echo Age students. And today we get to celebrate communion together. So if you are at home and uh, if you'd like to take a moment to prepare those elements around your table, go ahead and do that now. Friends, would you rise in body or in spirit? Let's say these words of call to worship. Friends, the Lord be with you. We set out on our Advent journey with a reminder. This world is not our home. Even now, we live by faith, longing for a better country and a new creation. Even now, I wait for the Lord and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Even now, there is no darkness with you, O Lord. People of God, hope in the Lord, for even now we do not wait in vain. future feast, and we carry the book of God's story. People of God, welcome home. Together, 
Even now, there is no darkness with you, O Lord. Let's sing a new song together. My soul in stillness waits. Today we remember the Advent is about waiting for a promise. And so Advent is about hope, our great hope that Jesus, who is the Savior of the world and healer of our every ill, is coming back to make all things new. Today we remember that we do not wait alone. We wait with all those who hoped in the Lord before us. The first reading. Hebrews 11, verses 1, 4, and 13. Now faith is the confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. 
And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Friends, this is God's word. Thanks to God. The Gospel reading, Luke 3, 15 to 18. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with the many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Friends, this is the gospel of Jesus. Today we light this candle to express our hope and anticipation of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God's Son, our Savior. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Would you join me in this prayer of confession? Merciful God, always with us, always coming. We confess. 
confess that we do not know how to prepare for your arrival. We have confused hope for what we can own, and it has made our elbows sharp, and we have hurt those who get in our way. We have exchanged the promise of your kingdom for the temptation of power. It has taught us to reach for the sword. We have often wounded ourselves. We have mistaken the experience of grace for that which we think we deserve. It has made us entitled, and we are consumed by our own concerns. We cannot see the hurt we have caused around us. Lord, salvation is your gift to those who have no other options. Lord, save us from ourselves. Lord, create in us new hearts. Lord, renew in us your forgiveness and renew in us expectant faith. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. sisters, as a people who are learning to long for things that we cannot find on our own, in this place, God meets you with good news. It is the good news of the Gospel of Matthew, first spoken to Joseph and now to us. Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Friends, all the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who has come, who will come again. Even now, the Spirit comes and announces the good news of Jesus to us. Through his death and resurrection, he has opened to us the path of new life. By that Spirit, we hope in the Lord, receiving God's forgiveness, expecting God's return, waiting with lives full of God's love. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, would you rise, brothers and sisters?
may be seated. And actually, you can rise one more time. <laughs> it's good practice. Stretch the legs, right? Friends, here in this place, God brings a greeting of peace to you. It is as real as Jesus who came in the flesh to show us what God has done about our sin. And it is now as real as words of greeting and a handshake to each other. And so, friends, would you turn to the people around you after I give you this greeting and pass it along? The peace of Christ be with you and also with you. Would you share that with each other? Christ, peace, Allie. Thank you for singing. Christ, peace. Yeah. You guys did great. Can I have all the kids come up here? And also, the Echo kids are coming down today, too, for pageant rehearsal. People of God, what is our prayer? Love and serve Jesus. Good morning. My name is Jack Crawford. I'm an elder here at Pleasant Street. So greetings to you that are here and those that are worshiping with us online. As the morning prayers were being developed yesterday, I noticed that the theme word throughout all of the messages, hope. It's on your bulletins. It's indicated on the candle, which is now illuminated to my left. And yesterday, as I went to get my mail, I found the newest edition of the banner in my mailbox. And providentially, on the cover, is another candle that is lit. And it's entitled, Light in the Darkness. And as I opened it up, there's an article which I would love to share with you that was written by the editor-in-chief of the Banner magazine. His name is Shang Chan. And he writes, I was reminded recently of God's promise in Isaiah 43. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Note here that God did not promise that we would avoid dangerous waters, but that he will be with us as we pass through those waters. We might be going through some difficult times, but God has not abandoned us. Christ Emmanuel, God is with us. At Christmas, we remember that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Even the light from a flickering candle cannot be shrouded by darkness. Even in death cannot snuff out the light of Christ. God's resurrection power gives me hope, and therefore let us take courage, but let us also grow deeper in the Christian faith and wiser in navigating the world. Before we pray, I'd like to share these words too, this being the first Sunday in Advent. Lighting a candle is a simple yet profound act. It is a testimony to the power of light over darkness. Even the light of one candle can reveal our faces as we stand near the candle. As we have just lit this candle, we begin our journey to Christmas, a day of joy and celebration. The first candle on the Advent wreath is called the Prophecy or the Hope Candle. It opens a period that anticipates Christmas 
and remembers those who first spoke the promise of the coming Christ child. With those words of encouragement, let us pray. God of light, place a candle in our hearts so we may walk as children of the light, treading gently on the paths of peace and ever ready to welcome the signs of new life. On this first Sunday in Advent, we begin a spiritual pilgrimage as we joyously anticipate Christmas Day, a reminder of the birth of our Savior. As we come to this place of worship, we know that we are in your presence. Give us your peace that through us all may know the peace of Christ. Every word in scripture points to the gift of hope that we have because of Christ Jesus. The Christmas story wasn't the beginning of that message of hope because the Old Testament is full of glimpses of your plan to redeem your people and restore them into a relationship with you. But we are able to truly begin to see and understand just how great your love for us is when we read the story of Jesus' birth in Scripture. Help us to see that you are with us. Nothing is too difficult. Nothing is too messy or too dirty for you. Jesus came to give us the gift of eternal life through the salvation that only you, our Heavenly Father, can give when we believe on your Son, repent of our sins, and confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That first Christmas, you gave us the gift of hope, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. Thank you, Father, for your immeasurable gift. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah 1. No, not Isaiah 1. Isaiah 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. And if you are reading along in your pew Bible, it is found on page 586. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level the rugged places, a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of the Lord. Advent tidings to all of you. As we turn to the word together today, I mentioned at the start that we are pulling out some of the decorations out of the uh, 
the family, the, the Christian church family box, so to speak. One of those things that we're going to set out together is this chapter of Isaiah 40. And we're going to look at it over the next four weeks. Friends, would you pray with me? Lord, in the world around us, things are moving faster. The pace accelerates. And here, as we come into your house this morning, we realize that in the frenetic pace around us, what we actually want is to slow down. What we actually long for is stillness. And so in this time where we discipline ourselves to wait together in your house, when we remember that we are longing for things that are hard to find and that we may not even know the name for, would you come and give us good news? Amen. Well, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. At least, it will when the back-ordered packages arrive for decorations. Being the way that things are right now, who knows how long that could be. Yes, looking around this year, Christmas is coming, but there's some, there's some real shortages happening as well. The shelves of the grocery store are strangely bare these days, and it's odd moments, too. And the, which shelves are bare is sort of strange, too, isn't it? That's unusual for us. But it is a sign that there's a real shortage happening out there. You know, in every store that I go into has a help wanted sign on it, although the way that it's written and the incentives that they're offering, you'd think it's more like a help pleaded sign. And yet at the same time, in the conversations that I have with people, so many people are looking for a job that will pay all the bills, and not just some of them. There's a real shortage going on out there, it seems. And in the conversations that you hear, I mean, well, you know, what I've noticed is there's not a whole lot of talk about plans. I mean, if you ask, what are you doing for Christmas this year? Do you have any plans to travel in the spring? Or what's coming next summer for you guys? The replies can be pretty sparse. Everything's sort of tentative right now. Hard to make plans. There's definitely a shortage going around. We are experiencing a real shortage of hope. Fortunately, today is the beginning of the year. No, not, not out there. It's year-end out there. But in here, it is the beginning of the Christian year. Today starts a new year. Happy New Year, everyone! It's Advent, and Advent is the start of the new Christian year, and it is the season of hope. Though I should warn you for a minute that the way that Christians get to hope can be quite different than how we look for it out there. In fact, there's no, there is perhaps no time of the year when the difference between Christianity and Western culture is more apparent than in the weeks leading up to Christmas. We are going to the same point, but we get there very different ways. Culturally, the messages and conversations and longings and songs that we hear and sound, well, they would tell us that it's almost as though everything we could ever want is really just right right within reach. The pumpkin spice latte, the lights, the warm sweaters, the Noah Jones albums. They offer us the promise that as we wrap up the year, we will soon be able to unwrap the things that we really want. But in here, during Advent, we are attempting to fight the lull of Sinatra and Crosby and their crooning voices that are telling us that everything's fine. During Advent, Christians discipline themselves to prepare for Christmas by shaking off the slumber and attending to some very uncomfortable realities, evil, death, and suffering. Friends, it is the discomforting season of Advent, and here's an Advent story. The Episcopal priest and theologian Fleming Rutledge once went to visit a friend who was in the early stages of Alzheimer's. She writes that her friend was still perfectly lucid and she was able to express herself. 
She said in the visit that both of her parents had suffered the terrible affliction and she had seen it coming. She was prepared and she was reconciled to it. Her biggest problem, she said, was her husband's attitude. She said, you know, Steve, things have worked out for him in his life. He has had everything pretty much the way that he wanted it. Now he's faced with something that isn't what he wanted. He gets really angry now. That never used to happen. Friends, it is Advent, and this is an Advent story, and we sympathize with this couple because for us too, our hope in life sometimes is only as real as our health. During Advent, we are confronted with uncomfortable news. Health is a finite resource. (laughs) And that's because we live in the age of decay. This is the age that the Apostle Paul called the present evil age. We live in a time in which sin and death reign. We live in a time in which the prophet Isaiah described as deep darkness, and we the people who sit in darkness. We live in an age where we suffer and bear wounds that have to do with our sins. And nothing calls this to mind quite like suffering. Friends, it is Advent, and Advent begins with the reminder that all is not well in the world or in us. And that was captured really well in the Anglican Book of Common Prayer Confession from 1928. It goes like this. We have erred. We have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed the desires of our own hearts. We have offended your laws. We have left undone the things which we ought to have done. And we have done the things which we ought not to have done. And there is no health in us. Which sort of sums up the first half of the book of Isaiah for us in a lot of ways. Today we pick up the first two verses of Isaiah chapter 40, but it's chapter 40, and we've missed a few things. So let's catch up. Isaiah takes place against the backdrop of some pretty scary global politics. Do you remember the Assyrians? We talked a lot about them in the fall when we were talking about Jonah. Well, they are in charge still on the world stage, and the Assyrian Empire has conquered the the kingdom of Israel, which is to the north. And now it's just Judah and Jerusalem living in the shadow of the Assyrian Empire. And the bigger that Assyria becomes, the more scarce Israel's hope in God. And so Isaiah chapter 1 through 39 tells the story of what happens when Jerusalem's shelves of hope go bare. Jerusalem becomes a a place of showy worship and bloody streets of market scales that tip in favor of the wealthy and of kings who have no vision for the future and who are more interested in powerful friends and military hardware than friendship with Yahweh. David's throne in Jerusalem is at a tipping point. Spoiler alert, it falls. The point of Isaiah is to show us that Jerusalem's injustice and their selfishness and their self-centered worship, that these things are outward signs that reveal a spiritual reality, which is that there is no health in them. And that's brilliantly told for us in the story of King Hezekiah. His story happens in chapter 37, 38, 39, right before we get to where we pick up the story today. Hezekiah is the last king of Jerusalem mentioned in Isaiah. He's the last leader they have before the people are carried off into exile. And his story goes like this. Wouldn't you know it, but that Hezekiah gets sick. Really sick. And one day Isaiah comes to him and he says, make sure you've signed your will. You're going to (laughs) die. And Hezekiah, understandably so, freaks out. He weeps copiously. Lord, why me? Why now? I was so faithful. I did the right thing. I don't want to die. Hezekiah's hope is only as real as his health. And there is nothing like suffering to make us realize how bare of a shelf that really is. But if you look at what Hezekiah says there, what his illness reveals is that Hezekiah isn't just afraid of dying. He's actually afraid of being abandoned by God. And what Isaiah is telling us in this story 
is that the king is not well, and the people aren't either. You know, throughout Isaiah, there are these threats all around Jerusalem. It's not a very comfortable story, right? Assyria's on the doorstep, Babylon comes after that. But Isaiah is given a job in chapter 6 to show the people that really their problems aren't out there. They are in here. The source of their discomfort is not an enemy on the horizon. It's their own hearts. And so God says in Isaiah 6 that your job is not going to be to prevent destruction, but to interpret it for us. To show us that we carry within us a wound in our heart and in repentance and rest would be our salvation if we would just sit still, if we would just hold still, but we won't. It is the wound that our parents received in the Garden of Eden It's the same one passed on to each and every one of us. It's the fear that was first whispered by the serpent that God does not love us, that he does not care, that we cannot trust him, that he will not be there when we need him. And there is nothing like suffering to bring those fears hidden inside our hearts out into the world. It was Easter Sunday, and despite having spent the entire day with people, Wesley Hill was battling a sense of abandonment that threatened to send him into despair. He arrived at a friend's house in the evening just as groups were forming games of Scrabble and Boggle, and he writes, It felt as if I were on the outside of a set of giant glass doors. I was looking in, and I could see people on the other side relating to each other in life-giving ways, laughing, talking, sharing, lending one another their ears and hands. But no one seemed to notice me on the outside of the doors, staring hungrily, wanting to be part of the relating, but somehow unable to get in. Leaving that night, he pleaded with God in his car, God, help me. Please, I need your healing. Now for Wesley Hill, experiences of loneliness like that, like the one he described on that Easter Sunday, are connected to his choice to live as a celibate person. But what Hill discovers along the way is that he is in good company. Because this profound sense of loneliness and abandonment is in fact something that he shares in common with more than those who are single. Reflecting on this human need not to be alone, Hill quotes uh, a writer named Jeremy Clive Huggins who says, Will you be there for me? I've come to believe that this is the question that houses all my other questions, fears, and longings. Will you be there for me? Our illness, the pain that we bear, this is an outward sign of something that we carry around inside of us. We have been wounded by sin and death threatens to take everything good for us and there is no health in us and we are wondering, will someone be there for me? This doesn't mean that every time we get sick, it's our fault. It means that sickness and pain remind us like nothing else that all is not well in the world. And we are afraid that we will be forgotten. Friends, why else would we put names on headstones and granite? We want those names to be remembered. And we want ours to be remembered too. My friends, no campaign, no new gadget, no trip or diet, no friend group or credential will ever fully be able to answer that question. Will you be there for me? Because none of us lives forever. And so real hope must come to us from somewhere else. You know, if you look at your Bible, it's hard to see on the screen, right? But if you look in your Bible, there's a space between Isaiah chapter 39 and 40. It's like two lines on the return key, right? But in that little tiny space, a whole lot happens. Hezekiah dies, and then the people of Jerusalem are deported into exile, and along the way they weep, 
Lamentations 1 gives us a picture of this kind of weeping in Jerusalem at that time. It describes Jerusalem as a woman who cries without consolation, who reaches out for hope but can't find any, who is tripping and falling down and there's nothing there for her to grab onto, who bears wounds and cannot find comfort. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her. She stretches out her hands, but there is no one to comfort her. What Lamentations is saying is that when the people of Israel leave Jerusalem, as the city is falling apart, they carry with them a question. Will you be there for me? And no one can answer it. And for 150 years, they have no answer and they live in a foreign place. They live in Babylon and they have to sing their songs in a foreign land. And then, out of nowhere, Isaiah 40 happens. And it proclaims something new. It proclaims uh, something new, a new future beyond suffering the consequences of sin and feeling alienated from God. What is it? God promises comfort. And he says it to people who are suffering. He promises that there will be an end to all of this. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service is over. Those words, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, that we know famously from Handel's Messiah, right? those words, they literally mean Speak it to her heart. Speak comfort to her heart. What is that word of comfort? That something other than suffering is now possible. Something new. Something. This comfort is a lot less like an easy chair and a lot more like the hope that your sentence in prison is almost up. And actually, there's even more comfort than this, right? Did you notice that the very first words of Isaiah 40 say, my people. God is in the heavenly courtroom and and he's decreeing a new policy to his heavenly court. And God says that this new policy is going to not be one of punishment, but one of comfort for my people. And where is this comfort going to come from? From your God. You see, even after all of their disobedience, even after a whole generation of people forgot God's name living in a foreign land, God has not forgotten them. They are still my people, and God is still their God. Even in their sin and sorrow, even in suffering, Israel has not lost their name. Even though they cannot remember it, God does. They have an identity that cannot be erased no matter how long their exile or how severe the punishment because their name, their identity comes from God. My friends, in our suffering, to a people who realize that there is no health in us either, Christianity offers us this great hope. Through God, you have been given a name that death cannot erase. Isaiah tells the exiles that they have received double for all their sins. And that word, double, right, it can mean a heaping portion. It can mean that Israel has received a heaping portion of something doubly good for all the suffering that they have endured. But it can also mean that Israel has received the double for all their sins, as in something that matches it perfectly which is exactly what God has done for us in Jesus. You shall give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that is what he does. God sends Jesus because he is perfectly fitted to our needs. He is the double. Jesus is the one in whom all the glory of God dwelt. He is the one who was called beloved. We are the ones who stood condemned. And Jesus comes to change places with us. He stands where we are so we can be where he is. And that means that Jesus, your double, takes you to a place so that you and I can be called beloved. 
And so that we can know without a doubt that no matter where we go in this world, no matter what suffering we face, the answer to the question, will God be there for me, is always and forever, yes. It's yes. The preacher Will Willimon tells a story about a congregation that he once preached in. Uh, He went there because their pastor was a friend. Willimon writes that the church is predominantly African-American as a congregation, and it's located in one of the poorest parts of the cities. He said, I arrived a few minutes before 11, which is when the service was supposed to start. We did not really begin until a quarter after. And then we had four anthems by the choir, assorted praise songs with the congregation, spirituals, and two offerings. I didn't begin to preach until just after noon. And then after I preached, my friend got up because he had just a few things to add, which took us to nearly one o'clock. After the service, standing in the parking lot, I asked my friend, why does your congregation take so long to worship? He laughed and he replied, why does, why does it take our folks so long to worship? Well, I'll explain it this way. Male unemployment is running about 20% in this neighborhood. Young adult unemployment is higher. That means that when my people go out there on the streets, everything that they hear is, you are nothing. You don't have a big car. You don't have a great job. You're nobody. So I get them in here on a Sunday, and through the words of the hymns and the prayers and the sermon and the scriptures, I try to say, that's a lie. That is a lie. You are royalty. You are God's own people. You were bought with a price. It takes me about two hours to get their heads back on straight. Friends, here this morning in a world scarce of hope, Jesus proclaims over each and every one of us that you are God's own people, that you were bought with a price by Jesus who suffered so that it might be so. He gave his life so that we might be children of God. He gave his life so that this broken world might one day be full of the glory of God and free of death. And it is our only comfort in life And in death, that we belong body and soul to Jesus. That we belong body and soul to Jesus. That we belong body and soul to Jesus. And in church, we have a word for this. It's called hope. We call it hope. And God has set it before you in a double portion of promises and bread and wine. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord God, as a people living in darkness, as a people longing for light, as a people hungry for good news, as a people with a wound that never seems to heal, we come to you and we ask that by your Spirit you would proclaim over us the good news, that now there is a policy of comfort enacted in the world that comes straight from the counsel of heaven to us through Jesus, who was born by the Spirit, who lived by the Spirit, who died to give us the Spirit so that we might know right here and right now we are children of God, and so that one day we could have hope that we will be with you in a place where all things are made new. Amen. I don't know if you caught it, but just now, I went from up there to down here. And in a small way, that is exactly the good news for us today, that the promises of God proclaimed in heaven come down to us in something as real as bread and wine. And God set this table and he did everything that was necessary to put everything we need on it. 
And so whether this table is here with you or the table that you are around at home, it is the Lord's table. And everything is ready. And so brothers and sisters, would you come and join me and eat? Friends, uh, would you join me in this prayer? The Lord be with you. We lift up our hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Please pray with me. God of all time, with you a thousand years are like one day. We thank and praise you because you have not been slow about your promise, but have patiently waited that all might come to repentance. In John the Baptist, you sent a herald who embodied the prophecies of your people and announced the coming of your son, Jesus Christ. Through baptism, you offer us a symbol of the forgiveness of sins. And after the water of cleansing, you clothe us anew in your Holy Spirit. And by that Spirit, you give us a new identity through that water and a new story through your scriptures and a new family at this table. And so we join angels and archangels and all the company of heaven proclaiming your glory together, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed in the highest. Holy God, you call your people to wait for and hasten the day of your coming. We long to open wide the gates that you, our King of glory, may enter among us. And we might proclaim with joy, here is our God. Fulfill our hopes and send your gracious spirit on your table so that these gifts of bread and wine may be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, at supper with his disciples, gave us this memorial of his sacrifice until he comes again. On the night of his arrest, before he suffered, Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And after giving thanks to God, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant, which is sealed in my blood and poured out for you and for many. Whenever you drink it, do this to remember me. For friends, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Gentle God, you feed your flock like a shepherd and gather your lambs in your arms. Speak tenderly to all who live under the shadow of exile, imprisonment, exclusion, or rejection. Give your children the joy of knowing that they have served their term, that their penalty is paid, and that they shall receive back from your hand double for all that they have ached to lose. Where they are in the valley of despair, whisper to them that they shall be exalted. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, hasten the coming of your new day begun when we shall see the wonder of your tender face, when the grass no longer withers and the flowers no longer fade, because there in that place you are all in all, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord has prepared this table for all those who love him and trust in him alone for their salvation, all who are sorry for their sins, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and who desire to live in obedience to him, are invited to come now with gladness to the table of the Lord. For friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. You know this by now already, but... When we take communion, we do so using little cups. Hopefully, you have received one. If you're at home, go ahead and um, uh, get your elements ready as well. And actually, oh, there it is. Couldn't find it. You can go ahead and open them now.
Brothers and sisters, take, eat, remember and believe that the body of our Savior Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. If you would, please go ahead and turn your container over. becomes a little cup. Brothers and sisters, take, drink, remember and believe that the blood of our Savior was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Having heard God's word of promise spoken over us, having tasted it in bread and wine, we have a chance to respond. And we make our response to God together both by lifting our voices in song and also by offering up some of the resources that God has entrusted to us for the ministries of our church which we support. Um, we are, the way that we are giving right now is both by placing... Um, Checks in a box in the entryway there. You can also donate online. Um, You can also drop checks off during the week to the church office. Friends, would you pray with me? Lord, having been given so much from you today, it is a wonder that you should also invite us to participate by giving back. Lord, we ask that in this receiving and giving and sharing and receiving and giving and sharing that somehow your kingdom would become a little more apparent to the people around us and in our own lives. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I would invite you to rise because the God who has gathered us here has a blessing for you. Lift up your eyes, my friends, and open your hands and receive it. May God, the Father who loved the world so much that he sent his only son give you grace to prepare for eternal life. May God the Son who comes to us as Redeemer and Judge reveal to you the path from darkness to light. May God the Holy Spirit by whose working the Virgin Mary conceived the Christ help you to bear the fruits of holiness. Amen. Let's go singing.
Go with God. Merry Christmas, everybody.